Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. I'm going out with the girls this weekend. Nails done. Outfit stunner. And my skin. I know it's going to be glowing because I glammed up my shower routine with new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash. It smells so luxurious and deeply moisturizes with its super rich, creamy lather that's bursting with vitamin B3 complex. So my skin glows and my confidence grows. Try new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash for glowing skin in just 14 days. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. I love how often the Holocaust has been trending over the last year. Um... (sighs) That's good. That's a thing you want to see trending in 2022. Um, it's It could happen here. All right, Chris. Continue with your bread riots. Yeah, we're back. There's more riots. Uh, now, last episode, we talked about historians declaring the end of the bread, death of the bread riot. And like in the 60s and early 70s, like I, I think that this, this is one of the, the ways that you can tell that period. People genuinely thought the world was going to get better. Was that like they genuinely believed that like the centralized state and like capitalism can always provide foods. You want to bread riots anymore. You get marches. Yeah, I calling. mean, you if you were born in that period, you like grew up and people were fleeing from Deinonychuses in the street and like getting getting eaten by woolly mammoths. And then by the time you're forty, you've got the telegraph. So I get it, right? I get why people think that that progress was was really yeah, good I back mean, in those areas because they got they wiped out the Deinonychuses. Yeah, I mean, you have seen Howard Taft building the pyramids, right? This, this exactly, exactly, exactly. You, you you have you have you have seen the future rise up literally in front of you, and yeah, they, you went from eating mud to Hershey's chocolate. It's, it's it's an incredibly impressive sort of sort of period of modern historical evolution, 
and you know, and one one of the things you see, like, like you'll see, like Marxists calling bread riots, primitive rebels doing like populist mob politics that's been like displaced by proper Marxist class politics, and then like every single one of these people was like the most wrong anyone, like basically from that period until until the moment uh, the 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 end of history guy starts writing, they are the most wrong people like on the planet. Well, it's also funny to hear that idea that like there there was something primitive about these people's class analysis because if yeah. you look at like the brothers Gracchi in ancient Republican Rome a lot of the shit they're saying is not at all primitive class analysis like the, yeah. it's it's pretty developed <laughs> yeah and I mean like the, the the Marxists will do some long argument about how like oh they, they have they have false consciousness they're not trying to abolish the class system or whatever and it's like well I mean like I look at the Mar- the Marxists didn't abolish the class system either so like yeah. you know but like yeah, like these are these are very, and this is something we're going to be coming back to a lot. This episode is that the people doing this are incredibly sophisticated political actors, and one of the the, the sort of modern version of this is in the nineteen seventies. Uh, not only did bread riots not end, there's a new kind of bread riot, and these riots are collectively known as the IMF riots. Um, and from 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 January nineteen seventy six to October nineteen ninety two, there were riots in. Peru, Egypt, Ghana, Jamaica, Liberia, the Philippines, Zaire, Turkey, Morocco, Sierra Leone, Sudan, Argentina, Ecuador, Chile, Bolivia, Brazil, Panama, uh, Tunisia, Dominican Republic, Haiti, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Guatemala, Mexico, Yugoslavia, Zambia, Poland, Algeria, Romania, Nigeria, Hungary, Venezuela, Jordan, the Ivory Coast, Niger, Iran, Albania, India, and Nepal. (laughs) Were you just doing like the wacko... The wacko Warner song. It's, yeah. it's it, that's literally all the play. I, I I found the chart that has all of them. It's like there's just so many. They just keep happening. And again, that that's only until 1992. Like they they're they're still happening. And and the other thing I should mention is those are just the ones that are called the IMF riots. There's a bunch of other riots, some of which are bread riots that aren't called the IMF riots because they're not really sort of like directly involved with the IMF. And and that, that, that this raises the question of what the fuck is an IMF riot. Uh, and the answer is that, uh, unfortunately, to, to understand why people are throwing Molotovs through bank windows, we have to talk about banking a little bit. Um, I, I, I have talked, I guess, uh. at length. Yeah, I, I apologize. But we will, we will get back to the riots, damn it, I promise. We just have to do a little bit of banking. So, yeah, I, I've talked extensively on this show about the crisis of the 70s. And, you know, the short version is that uh, in, in a thing that is completely unrecognizable today, the global economy collapses, inflation skyrockets, uh, Countries across the global south start taking out these adjustable rate lo- – they've been taking out these adjustable rate loans, and then suddenly their interest rates spike, and they start defaulting on these loans. Uh, here's uh, free markets and food riots talking about it. Although the causes of the crisis run deeper, by the 1970s, many smaller nations began to feel the strains of insolvency as a result of a worldwide recession, successive oil price shocks, declining world commodity prices, and accelerating debt service obligations. So b- basically, like if, if you're a small country, right? The price of everything you need to buy, like oil, is going up, and the price of what you can sell, which is like a commodities like copper, tin, is collapsing. And these lead to what are like these massive, uh, what are called balance of payments crises. And so we should we should talk about what what what, what a balance of payments crisis is. And th- this winds up being really important here. There's the story about Che Guevara, like right after, like literally right after the the the, the uh, Cuban Revolution, is he, he so he goes to the U.S. And he's in a he 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 sits he's in this meeting with a bunch of bankers, and he's trying basically to get Cuba's gold reserves and Cuba's sort of like foreign exchange reserves out of the U.S. The U.S. doesn't steal it, and 
it was what's funny about it is all of the bankers who are talking to him, like it, all of them report afterwards, like, well, wow, this guy talks like a banker, not a communist. And the, the, the specifically the reason they were like, oh, hey, this guy talks like a banker is that he knew what balance of payments was. Um, the, the short answer is that a balance of payments crisis is when there's more money flowing out of the country than there is coming into it. And the result of this is that you run out of money. Uh, and particularly the thing you run out of is American dollars, which is a thing that you need to like buy oil. So you get these countries that are massively in debt and they run out of money. And the only thing they can do is turn to like is turn to the International Monetary Fund or the IMF, who like the only description of the IMF that I have is that like they're 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 basically like if the cartoon Bank of Evil from Despicable Me like ran the entire world economy. Uh they, you know, so the IMF shows up to these countries and is like lol lamau eat shit and they, they force these countries to implement like to, to in order to get loans they force them to implement what are called stabilization programs because of the quote conditionality of the loans they have all these like this really technical boring like neoliberal like legal language for it uh the like the the, the this is this, this is all sort of banker speak for if you want another loans so you can buy food you're gonna have to rob every single person you know and hand them and hand us all your money uh, th- this eventually becomes known as structural adjustment programs. There's this, all of this sort of technical language disguise what's going on. But what's actually going on is that in order to pay off, in order to pay the bankers for these loans, they are taking food for the mouths of children. Um, yeah, here's a, a more technical, I guess, explanation of what's happening here. Austerity programs include stern measures or shock treatments that trigger market mechanisms to stimulate export production and increase government foreign exchange reserves. So, according to the theory, currency devaluation makes third world exports more competitive in the international market. Reduced public spending curbs inflation and saves money for debt repayment. Privatization of state-owned corporations generate more productive investment and reduce public payrolls. Elimination of protectionism and other restraints on foreign investment lures more, more efficient export firms. Cuts in public subsidies for food and basic necessities help to get prices right. Benefiting domestic producers, wage restraints, and higher interest rates reduce inflation and enhance competitiveness, and import restrictions conserve foreign exchange for debt servicing. So th- this has uh, winners and losers, uh, and the losers are like everyone in the country this is happening to. And this, and this is pretty cross cross class. Like these policies, they hurt workers, they hurt peasants, they hurt small shopkeepers. The middle class is annihilated. Uh, just like people who are consumers who buy goods and even the sort of like the, the, the local capitalists just get screwed by this because what, what the IMF is doing is forcing everyone to have lower wages, taking massive benefit cuts and massively spiking the price of food. And, you know, I, 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 I once again remind everyone that uh, this, this, this is explicitly what the Federal Reserve is trying to do to us right now. Like this is this is the kind of stuff that they're talking about in order to curve inflation is to just make like pay everyone less make everyone take benefits cuts and then increase the price of shit so so the 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 winners of this are like six bureaucrats international investors and like a class of like absolutely horrific large agricultural landowners and this this has about the effect that you would expect it to um between 1976 and late 1992, some 146 incidents of protest occurred, reaching a peak from 1983 to 1985 and continuing to the present without attenuation. Now, the, the authors who are writing this, right, they're writing this in 1994. So when they say they continue to the present without attenuation, they mean 1994. Uh, the thing is, the last one of those riots ended like a week ago. Oh. Huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're still they're still going. Um, so and, you know, and th- these th- these riots are slightly different than the, the sort of like classical bread riots, right? Because they, they are about the increasing price of food. They're also about the increasing price of fuel or sort of broader austerity measures, so cuts to services, stuff like that. Um, here, here's here's a quote about like what these things actually look like. Um, Demonstrations and riots typically target specific institutions perceived as responsible for the depredations. Marches and protesting crowds converge on major thoroughfares and government buildings such as the Treasury or the National Bank or the Legislature or the Presidential Palace. Looters attack supermarkets and clothing stores, where fuel and transportation subsidies are part of the austerity package. Buses and gasoline stations are burned. The international dimension of austerity are recognized symbolically in attacks on travel agencies, foreign automobiles, luxury hotels, and international uh, travel agencies. Or, well, that too, but also uh, international agency offices. And, uh, you know, this is going to sound familiar from last episode. Uh, it turns out that just like the 18th century people, the, the, the attacks of these things are, are very targeted. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance, helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM, let's create. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off, no dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian cocktail maker, it's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. 
Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The, the sort of like forms of resistance have changed over time because, you know, this is now we, we, we do have modern political organizations, right? Uh, like we get general strikes, you get sometimes you get just noble bread riots. Uh, sometimes you get these just things that are like large protests and then they turn into riots. And w- what's interesting about them is that these are very sort of these, these are very sort of cross class movements, right? You have your sort of classical sectors of the urban poor. You have like partic- particularly in the global south, you you have your shanty dwellers, you have unemployed youth, you have small street vendors who are like a crucial sort of element of these things. You have like just your guy selling cigarettes on the street. Um, you get you also get like parts of the the industrial working class. You get sometimes you get unions. Uh, a lot of times you get students. Uh, you get like public employees. Sometimes you get professional groups. One of, one of the interesting things I was reading about this, is, like, I've I've read like a few books in this era who were talking specifically, and this this is in like the nineties, right? We're specifically talking about professional groups in Sudan, and it's like it's like okay, it's it's 1994. People are talking about professional groups in Sudan backing rioters against the government. It's 2019. People are talking about professional groups backing protests against the government. It's like it's, I don't know. Like there, there there's this extent to which all of these things, all, all, like the, the IMF riots, have just been happening over and over and over again for about 50 years, and a lot a lot of the elements are are incredibly similar one of the other things that's going on here is that the, these protests are driven are driven by mass urbanization I just, uh, typically austerity protests were precipitated by dramatic overnight price hikes resulting from the termination of public subsidies on basic goods and services proclaimed by the government as a regrettably necessary reform urged by the imf and international lenders as conditions for new and renegotiated loans five deaths in the first peruvian protest began a pattern of violence Peru remained a hotbed of austerity protests, with students and workers demonstrating against increased food prices in 1997, followed by, followed in 1978 by a march of public employees over state layoffs. This protest, though chaired by other public workers watching from surrounding office buildings, was dispersed by police tear gas. So, like that, that's that's a very sort of, yeah, yeah. Like we, the, the, I mean, th- this is this was happening. This was happening in Peru, like last year, right? Actually, was it last year? or Was it earlier this year? I don't know. Time is fake. And that's actually like the, the other thing that's sort of startling about this is, is like the places that riot are still the places that are rioting in like an, an enormous number of cases. It's, it's the same places. Sometimes it's the same people. Um, I think probably the, the most famous protest of the sort of era is. It's called the Caracazo. I've, pronouncing that extremely badly by my apologies uh in venezuela which is a reaction to a 1989 like 50 to 100 percent increase in, in train and bus fares and there are these are like these are massive riots um at least a hundred and probably like a couple of thousand people are like gunned down by the army and three years later a, a relatively unknown colonel named hugo chavez tried to overthrow the government that had carried out the price increases uh chavez I, you know, Chavez is uh, better known for his other works, but he he's the sort of tie between the IMF riots and the sort of next phase of of political resistance to this stuff, which is called the anti, which is like known as the anti globalization movement in the sort of the nineties and early two thousands. And the thing that's interesting about 
these things is that I don't know, the IMF rights don't go very well. Like either they lose or at best what they were able to get was like temporarily stall some of these reforms. And I say like reforms, quote unquote, like the sort of neoliberal like slashing benefits. So if they were able to pause them a bit and then they would sort of get restarted after people left the street. But in, in the late 90s and early 2000s, people start winning. Um, Argentina is sort of famously forced to like tell the IMF to fuck off and they default on their loans after this like enormous autonomous uprising in 2001 that like very nearly overthrows the government and forces out like five heads of state. There's the whole sort of pink tide in Latin America. The IMF gets like driven out of a bunch of countries in East Asia. And then in 2008, uh, the entire world economy collapses, which it turns out is bad for everyone. And th- this does this does two things for our story. Uh, the first is that like countries are suddenly going broke again. And because they're un- like just completely broke, uh, the IMF is just back and it's able to sort of enforce programs on places like Greece and Spain. And the second thing it did was set off an enormous wave of bread riots and uprisings. And I, I think like most people, if if you tell them that uh, 2008 set off like an enormous wave of like protests, they're, they're immediately going to go, oh, you mean the Arab Spring? And I am talking about that, but that's actually not specifically what I'm talking about here. There, there's... There were, like, immediately, in 2007, 2008, immediately after, there was another massive wave of bread riots that, every, like, just everyone has completely forgotten, unless the thing that you do specifically is study bread riots. Um, here, here's from, here's from the, uh, a piece called A Political Economy of the Food Riot. In 2007 and 2008, the world witnessed a return of one of the oldest forms of collective action, the food riot. Countries where protests occurred ranged from Italy, where pasta protests in September 2007 were directed at a fail at the failure of the Prati government to prevent a 30% rise in the price of pasta, to Haiti, where protesters railed against President Preval's impa- Im- impassive response to the doubling of the price of rice over the course of a single week. Other countries in which riots were reported included Uzbekistan, Morocco, Guyana, Mauritania, Senegal, India, Indonesia, Zimbabwe, Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Yemen, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Mexico, and Argentina. And some commentators have estimated that 30 countries experienced some sort of food, some sort of food protest over the period. Now, we've been talking a lot about like food consumers in this because that's mostly the people who are involved in bread riots, but... You know, as, as was happening in the 1700s with the sort of original stuff, like this whole time this is going on, there's there's a sort of massive shift in the global food economy happening where – and th- this has been happening for a long time now, but it's, it's sort of – it's been accelerating the last about half a century, which is that the number of people who are like peasants and who produce food for themselves has been massively declining and people are getting forced into cities. And this means that there's – you know, th- 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 there's there's been a number of other things that have gone along with this. Uh, there's been this massive increase in like cattle production, for example. You get all these monocultures. Um, and another thing I think I've mentioned before is the World Trade Organization's like agreement on agriculture, like outlaws agricultural subsidies for the global south. But you know, the US is still allowed to have like farm subsidies, which means that, you know, if, if when you're when you enter these free trade agreements, you get all of this like enormously cheap food from the US that's dumped into all these other countries. And, you know, if you're a Mexican farmer, suddenly you can't compete with all of this food from the U.S. because the food from the U.S. is cheap because the American government's subsidizing it, but the Mexican government can't. And this just, like, absolutely annihilates any attempt by a country to maintain food security by, like, producing food for themselves. 
And this this sort of class of like self-sufficient peasant farmers who'd been, you know, they support themselves by producing their own food and selling to the market. These people just get annihilated. And they get forced into what's called sort of casualized labor. They, they, you know, they, they, the later version of this is like Uber, right? But they're forced into gig work. They're kicked out of sort of the, the normal economy. And, you know, because they don't have sort of fixed contracts or, you know, a lot of these people are working with for no contract, with, with no contracts at all. They're enormously insecure. And once these people are forced into the labor market, like changes in the global economy can make them like almost immediately unable to afford food. Because you know, like if the 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 less sort of economically secure you are, the 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 more the more you're affected by price increases, which is obvious, but it's worth saying because it dictates a lot of like who does bread riots, and yes, and so governments are not entirely like blind to this, and their concern is that they're going to get overthrown, and so you see a bunch of governments trying to respond with sort of price stabilization stuff. I think the most famous example of this is that like. The Egyptian army like literally controls like an enormous number of Egypt's bakeries and they, they they like directly run them and they directly run them so they can control the price of bread to try to like stop revolutions from happening. But in 2008, this just kind of stops working. Um, Here's the political economy of the food riot again. Over the year between 2007 and 2008, the 130% increase in the global price of maize and the 75% increase in the price of rice with similar price increases in soybeans and other major food commodities. Um, yeah, so there, there are these massive food price increases. And this, you know, this does the thing that massive food price increases does, right? There's, there's, in, there's immediately enormous riots. And there's this cycle that happens where the protesters, you know, the protesters immediately blame the government for the crisis. And then the government is like, well, it's actually not our fault because I... Uh, you know, it's happening because of things outside of our control, and the protesters are like, oh, it doesn't matter who we elect, uh, they do the same things. And, like, they're both kind of right. Like, the government is just, like, fucking these people, but it's also true that the sort of, like, the whole food system is designed to take, like, the means of food production out of the hands of, like, the workers who need the food and putting them in the hands of, of like, you know, enormous corporations. And as people in places like Sri Lanka, which we're going to talk more about later, continually emphasize, it, like this, this food sovereignty issue is as much of a political issue, like it, it, it's an incredibly political issue, and it's 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 as much like what's at stake in these bread riots as the sort of IMF and austerity stuff. Okay, this is probably a good place for an ad break, but I can't think of a transition. Uh... Yeah, you know, who isn't allowed to eat is the products and services that support this podcast all actively starving to death. So get these deals now while you still can. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Whoa! <laughs> I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. 
Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day. Picking something up on the way is for Father's Day. Well, let's make Father's Day something this year with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. It whips up over 60 premium cocktails on demand, each ready at the push of a button. And right now, you get $50 off the Bartesian Cocktail Maker when you buy one pack of Dad's favorite cocktail capsules. Dad will publicly love that you saved 50 on the countertop machine that crafts premium cocktails on demand. And he'll secretly love that you splurged on him for Father's Day with the gift of a Bartesian. Because the only thing that lets Dad know he's the world's number one dad better than a world's number one dad coffee mug is an artisan cocktail in his hand. Make dad's Father's Day and Father's Day cocktails with all natural juices and bitters without making any mess at all. Visit bartesian.com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. And we're back. So... All right, now we're going to talk a little bit about the Arab Spring. We're not going to talk an enormous amount about it because that's a whole thing. Um, but if 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 you've been following like the stuff people have written about the Arab Spring, uh, there's an enormous number of people who spend like a lot of their time arguing about whether or not it was actually sparked by food prices. And you know, you'll get a lot of analysts who argue that like food prices in Tunisia, where where the Arab Spring starts, like weren't really higher than normal. And what you're seeing instead is like well, it's not actually food prices. It's just that there's a generation of people who've been farmers but like can't support themselves anymore, who've been forced into like fighting non-existent wage labor in cities, and like that that is part of what's happening. But I think there's a, there's a sort of like fundamental misunderstanding of what causes a bread riot, right? Like you know, as you talked about in like in, in the first episode, one of the things that causes bread riots is it's not actually necessarily the magnitude of the price increase that causes them, right? What sets what sets off bread riots is people fe- is people feeling like they're not getting what they deserve. Now, obviously, like if the, if the price of bread increases by two hundred percent, you're going to get a lot of people going like, "Fuck this! I worked my ass off, and now I can't feed my family. Uh, we deserve better than this. It's time to riot." But e- sometimes, e- even if bread prices are stable, you 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 can get a you can get a thing where everyone like you know the amount of bread is bad, everything is expensive, and one day someone wakes up and just goes, "Fuck this! I deserve better," and they do a bread riot. And and this is the case, and, and you know, and when, when that kind of thing is happening, right? When 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 you're dealing with, you know, what, like moral economy stuff, when you're dealing with with this gap between like what people think, like like what people think their life should be versus the fact that their lives are just absolutely terrible. Even if you like 
decrease the price of bread, that's not actually necessarily going to like stop people from rioting. And, and if you look at like Occupy, for example, too, like, you know, that's also happening in this period. Like what brings people there isn't necessarily strictly the price of food. It's the sense that like, yeah, I've been screwed by, and I've been screwed by the ruling class and I deserve better than this. And, and this is, this is what you see in Tunisia. And one of the things, what you see in sort of Tunisia and Syria is that like a lot of the uprisings, like they have this huge sort of rural core with, with this population of this huge population of people who've been kicked out of the agricultural sector. And, you know, and like that, that is a bread riot, right? And it, it's a bread riot in the sort of double sense of like, it's the people who are involved, who used to be involved in, in grain production and now can't be. And then also that like, you know, pe- people, people have hit the sort of expectation gap thing. And I, what what I think is sort of interesting about this is that these bread riots, these rural bread riots are like, they're, they're the closest thing we have to sort of the classical 20th century revolution, right? Like that, that's one, that's the thing that causes like the 20th century revolutions are the, the first generation of people who are like, I mean, the first like two or three generations of people who come from the countryside into the factories are the people who do revolutions. Um, and, but the thing is, it, this is, this is, this is the 21st century, not the 20th century. Like if you get kicked out of your farm, there's, there's no job in a factory. Like you're just unemployed. And, you know, and th- this changes the dynamics of, of sort of everything. And, and I think, okay, like, like people like broadly know the course of like the Arab Spring and the 2011, 2014 wave of uprisings. They happen, they get crushed largely. But there was another wave of these sort of riots, protests, and uprisings that started in Haiti in like in mid 2018 over this massive fuel price hike. And here is a partial list of places that like people have like rioted in. In, in large numbers since 2018, Haiti, Sudan, Algeria, Honduras, Chile, Iraq, Hong Kong, Iran like four times, Lebanon like three times, Colombia like three times. Uh, a couple of things happened in France. There was uh, Puerto Rico. There was Papua. There was there was Indonesia. We're on our second Ecuador one now. There was Catalonia. Like people rioted in the U.S. There there were massive indigenous roadblocks like in Canada. <laughs> A Yucamedia Campo went up, like there was stuff in Sakatra, like there were two different ways of protest in India. There was like Belarus, there was Kazakhstan, there was Kyrgyzstan, there's Uzbekistan, there's Mali, there's stuff in Nigeria, there's stuff in Libya, like there's stuff in Sri Lanka we're about to get to. It, 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 this this whole thing has has been happening like everywhere. And, and it's been intensifying in the last in the last sort of like three or four years. Um we're we're now basically in like year four of this cycle. And and you know, obviously like every single one of these protests has their own like local political conditions and like a lot of these aren't even sort of loosely about the price of bread. They're just about sort of other stuff that's happening. But like, like of, of the uprisings that I mentioned, like something like 15 of them are directly about the price of food or the price of like transited fuel. And we're going to talk a little bit about sort of two of the most recent like protest waves. Um, We're going to talk about Ecuador. And we're going to talk about Sri Lanka because they're, they're two very different kinds of protests, even though they're both kind of bread riots or at least they're, they're, I mean, they're both very much the modern equivalents of it. Um, but they, they look very different. And there's just, I think, I don't know, I think there's like interesting reasons why. Um, yeah, so, so we're going to start with like with Sri Lanka. Um, on, on a very basic level, Sri Lanka has a giant balance of payments crisis. Uh, this is, you know, sometimes like this is the sort of like large scale political version of famines, right? Like there's plenty of food and fuel in the world, but the government of Sri Lanka does not have dollars to buy it with. Now, the reason the government doesn't have dollars to like buy fuel with is because the government is basically a, like a, a, an incredibly corrupt dictatorship that keeps like importing luxury goods it didn't need, and they did a bunch of like tax breaks on rich people, and suddenly the government was broke, and everyone was like, "Wow, how did that happen? It must have just been the pandemic." And it was like, 
no, you, you, like, you gave all the money to rich people. And then, like, as the crisis sort of went on, um, they, the, the government decided to ban fertilizer imports. And so this just meant that people couldn't get fertilizer. So it's like farmers just didn't plant food because they didn't yeah, have fertilizer. Yeah, that's a curious decision. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's one of those things you look at it, it's just like, like, what, like, who thought this was a good idea? Yeah, what was the positive end of that game plan here? I mean, it, 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 like, I, the, the only, like, it, okay, so like, I, I think what they were thinking is that like, fertilizer costs dollars, right? We're running out of dollars. So we're going to stop people from spending their dollars, like, on buying this stuff so we can keep more dollars in the economy but like what what are you what is your long-term plan here if you don't have like anything to get dollars with or and you also don't have food so this uh to the surprise of exactly zero people except i guess the government of sri lanka causes a food crisis a food shortage um and th- this is a kind of classic, like this is the ca- a kind of classic, like situation in which the IMF would intervene in the seventies, and they're intervening now. And you know, this this is a classic like struggle against this starting right. You have the ruling class blowing up the entire economy by like fueling debt money into pointless infrastructure projects, and now they're doing these like massive austerity measures and trying to get loans to the IMF. This is you know this is this is this is this this is this is, this is, this is stuff we understand and we've seen before. Um, but this is also this is also a food sovereignty problem, right? The Sri Lankan government has just completely screwed. They're farmers, which means they have to import even more food. And, and you know, the, the result of this is months and months and months of very impressive sort of cl- cross-class protests with, like, basically every social sector in the streets. And that's both a good thing and also a thing that is kind of a mess because, you know, like, there was a civil war. The civil war ended, like, less than a decade and a half ago, right? So you have people in the streets from sectors who, like, do not like each other at all. And I don't know, you know, you get the thing that happens here, right? You get these moments of like incredible solidarity and then moments of incredible, like, what the fuck are you guys doing? And, you know, like one of the things that happens a lot in these protests, like in all all protests like this is like, okay, the protests are like pretty tame for literally months, right? Like it's just people doing protesting. And then uh, cops and, the, and people like allied with the government start attacking the protesters at which point people like burn down the house of the ruling family. They start throwing people. I think people probably saw the videos, people like throwing cars of like government ministers into rivers, which was a good time. And like, yeah, like that, that stuff was, you know, a direct reaction to sort of like the government's violence. Right. Um, you know, okay. I I can't give like a, a full, like detailed political history here because like, dear God, it is incredibly complicated and I don't understand it very well because you know, I, I don't study Sri Lanka. Um, if, if you want a good account of this, uh, Rohini Hensman's political dimensions of the crisis in Sri Lanka is, is a really good sort of like short, like look at what's going on here. Um, and, and this is a sort of like, this is, you know, this is a broader trend in like all of these protests, right? I like, as like every single bread riot takes place in its own unique context. Like Sri Lanka, for example, like Sri Lanka used to have the world's best and largest, like mass Trotskyite party. Like they they were like the Trotskyites. This is like the only place on earth the Trotskyites had like a real like mass political party, and they were like a part of the real political process. And then they like sold out the working class and entered a bunch of governments that like did terrible stuff. And you know, okay, that that that's like a local context doesn't happen anywhere else. But you know, every single one of these states, right, is is embedded in global capitalism, and that means that every state is affected by the sort of like broader economic trends and sort of bureaucratic structures to hold everything together. They're affected by the IMF, the World Trade Organization, the World Bank. 
And the thing that this means is that the timings of uprisings and riots tend to synchronize with each other in reaction to sort of broader like economic forces. And the product of this is way, is these sort of like periodic waves of uprisings. And so to close this out, we're going to talk about the most recent of these. Well, it might actually not be the most recent of these by the time this goes up. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about Ecuador. Um, the situation in Ecuador is very different from what's happening in Sri Lanka. Uh, the, the, the biggest difference, I guess, is that instead of sort of like waiting for conditions to get bad enough that like an uprising happens like more or less spontaneously, which, which is kind of what happened in 2019 in Ecuador. There, there's, a, there's a very huge protest there, um, but they were largely spontaneous. But instead of like waiting for it, people were just like, wait, what if we just called one of these? And by, by people here, I specifically mean the Confederation of Indigenous Nationalities of Ecuador or CONAI. And, you know, okay, okay, as we've seen through this whole sort of thing, right? Like, bread riots, like, adapt to the political organizations around them. And in Ecuador, we're dealing with a quintessentially modern form of political organization, which is the Indigenous Confederation. And I, I, I guess I should sort of, like, preface this a bit with, like, the, 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 the specific form of Indigenous Confederation in in Latin America that emerges in this period is, like, a different thing than older ones, because there, there have been Indigenous Confederations for a long time. This is, like, a this is a, this is a very specific like political thing that emerged across Latin America in in sort of the seventies and the eighties. Well, really, really started showing up in the eighties as a result of like a lot of things. One of which was like how shitty the old like Marxist-Leninist vanguard groups like were on indigenous issues. And one of the one of the groups that forms in this period is Konai, and Konai is one of the world's most militant like indigenous uh, federations. And since their founding in in uh, 1986, they've called half a dozen uprisings against neoliberal governments, and I, th- I think they knocked off like three presidents, which is a a pretty impressive track record. And on July 13th, 2022, faced with skyrocketing inflation on like basic consumer goods and a like really shitty like far right government, they staged another one. Um, and and this is another sort of, I don't know, like the the thing that's interesting about this is is that it's. It's part general strike, like part street protest, part riot, and part just like mass march from the from the sort of periphery of Ecuador to the core. And by periphery and core, I mean in the sort of metaphorical sense. Like it's a bunch, it's a bunch of indigenous peasant groups from all over the country, just like marching on, descending on the capital, Quito. And this is a this is a complicated process. Like the you know okay, like the left everywhere has like political divides, and mostly they're kind of nonsense in a lot of ways like okay like there's ideological divides and there's personal divides and whatever but like ecuador's left has has real political divides and these aren't these aren't like sort of petty ideological like personal stuff like they're like they were caught under under the sort of previous like old like leftist pink tag governments of rafael correra like there are like soldiers and cops who are beating the shit out of indigenous ecological protesters and, you know, this means that, like, yeah, you know, okay, so so Carrera's, like, party's running for president again. or is, Carrera's not running, but Carrera's party's, like, running in an election, right? And, you know, this means that, like, yeah, okay, like, maybe you're both leftist, right? But, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, fuck no, like, I'm not voting for these guys. These are the guys who, like, sent the army against our anti-mining protests. And so, you know, the, 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 thing, the thing that's interesting here is that, like, like, these protests don't even pull together the entire Ecuadorian left, um, the, the, and there's like other stuff going on here too. Like there, there, there's some of the unions that went on strike in 2019, like don't go on strike this time because of some like, political stuff that's happening 
But the thing the thing about Konai that's really impressive is that they're they're still organized enough, and they still like they're organized enough that they're able to just take control of parts of cities. And they have a lot of allies and supporters amongst their students and workers in Kido. And this means that when the government makes this enormous mistake and arrests Konai's like kind of newish leader, uh, okay, this guy's name, <laughs> this guy's name. I, I guess in Spanish, it's like Leonidas Aiza. This guy's name is Leonidas. He's the head of the... Um, he's, the he's, he's the head of, of Konai's Federation. Um, and he's, he's been a protest leader... He was a protest leader in 2019. That's how he got elected to like head this organization. And they arrest him on day two of the protest, and this is a catastrophic mistake. The protest just like explode. And, you know, by, 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 by like a week in... I think that the government's claiming they were doing $50 million of damage a day, which I'm not actually sure I believe that because governments and corporations do this too when they're talking about like losses from like strikes. They tend to overemphasize how much damage is done because it makes them like look better in the press and it makes the protesters look worse. But they're they they they, 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 they they're able to damage like significant parts of the economy. And by June 30th, like they kind of win. Basically, the government's forced to negotiate with them and they don't get all of their demands, but they get price decreases for like fuel and gasoline, which is like a huge part of why these protests happened in the first place. They get bans on mining and drilling in indigenous and protected areas. They get like strength and price controls. They get like rural loan forgiveness, like interest rate decreases. They get subsidies for farmers. They get subsidies for families. They get they 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 manage to get the government to like declare a state of emergency, a health emergency over COVID. It's like this is this is impressive stuff and. You know, and the, the the other part of this is that they're like, okay, the agreement is that we will stop protesting if you do this, and if you don't do this, we're going to do this again. Cool. So, yeah, I, I guess I guess my to sort of wrap this up. I uh, there's there, there's an American proverb that is really common among sort of like American China watchers, which is that I. Uh, so supposedly, the Chinese word for crisis is composed of two characters: danger and opportunity. And it's like not true as like linguistic and anthropological analysis of China. That that's not what that's not what the characters mean. But everyone like everyone in the U.S. like political establishment like believes this, right? And, and you know, but like as as an analysis of China, it is completely useless. As an analysis of the U.S. of the American psyche, it's incredibly valuable, right? Because this 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 is the way the American ruling class thinks. It, it's every single crisis is both a danger and an opportunity, and. That's something that we, in some sense, also have to do because that's, you know, th- these are the sort of situations that we're in, right? Red riots are a thing that just, they happen, right? They will continue to happen. They have been happening for thousands of years. Like, presumably, they will happen for thousands of more years. And there, there's no use sort of, like, either pretending that they don't happen or making these sort of moral or tactical arguments, like, for or against them because they just happen. And... The, the the question that we're that we're faced with is what are we actually going to do about it, right? Are we going to sit them out? Are we going to side with the state and repressing them in the name of sort of like stamping out color revolutions or like providing order or stability or like protecting small businesses? Or are we going to, you know, take to the streets and fight alongside them to sort of break the system that creates them? And this the second question from here is if we're going to do this, how? And what what we what we've seen from Ecuador in the past month or so is that if you take the fight to them and you are sufficiently organized, you can win. And that means the question now, as our food prices continue to increase, as food prices are only going to continue to increase, what are we gonna do? 
and yeah that that's all i got i have i have a single question yep what are we going to do well i'm I'm kind of bummed we never brought up our good friend pete Buttigieg and his uh <laughs> bread his bread price, price fixing, fixing ordeals yeah mm-hmm. i mean that, that that that's kind of a sign of just like how kind of like I guess you could say masculinized like our culture has been that like people didn't riot over that. Cause like, that is a thing. Like if, 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 Pete, if you said Pete Buttigieg back to like a, 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 a late 1700 French village and he tries to do this thing, like he, he, he does a systematic like bread, bread price fixing, right? Like all of these people would have been getting hit by rocks. So yeah, do that again. Uh, Yeah. Do that again. Wow. Do that just again. Bare ins- just brazen incitement. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, that is it for us today. We love to incite things, folks. Until next time, go incite yourselves. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman. And Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at lightsoutxf.com. And we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to lightsoutxf.com.